You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, let's go to a professional here. Let's switch gears. This is, it's just ugly out there. Matt Stuckey, Senior Portfolio Manager for Northwestern Mutual, joins us. Matt, the concern this morning, the talk this morning, the Wall Street chatter this morning is recession. What say you? Is that in your model? Well, certainly in the distribution. Uh, and that, that section of the distribution has been rising over the last few months. Um, growth is rapidly slowing. And the potential for a mild recession, I, I think, is, is pretty elevated here. Um, you know, a couple of data points that, you know, we would point to that um, are really starting to uh, kind of shine out to us. As you saw it, you know, last quarter with, um, you know, earnings reports from, you know, the likes of, of Target and Walmart. We kind of wonder what else is going to be spilling over. And, you know, first and foremost, we think it's probably housing here uh, just as a reflection of how quickly interest rates are rising and what that does to affordability. Um, but you, what you, you've seen so far this quarter, which I think is really interesting, is just the percentage of increase of inventory that's out there in the existing home market. And that's being met with, with a buyer that's starting to uh, really refine out uh, what, their, what their budgets are uh, with the higher interest rate environment and yeah. um, you know, somewhat of a buyer strike going Smart. on right now. So housing, I, housing I bought a house without even we're, thinking we're about at. my budget. And, and you now you bought a house I'm terrified of every day. Of well, hopefully you lock in that interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like 3%. I'll pay whatever you want. Um, so we've had these um, inventory buildups at Walmart, at Target. And I hear you now saying that we're seeing that in housing as well. Does that mean you think inflation is going to roll over? Uh, I, I do think that's going to roll over pretty quickly. Uh, you know, a couple of things, you know, certainly the durable goods story has been well discussed and inventories there are piling up quickly, which, you know, inevitably leads to discounting uh, that eventually finds its way into uh, inflation, obviously. But, um, you know, the, the housing story, I think, hasn't been really discussed much in terms of what that means in terms of overall inflation. Um, you know, this is, it's a stickier part of the inflation story. And it, it moves with a lag in, in terms of the way, <clears throat> excuse me, it finds its way into inflation. Um, so, you know, for the third quarter, certainly, it, you know, I, I think it's got upward pressure for, for PCE as well as CPI. But, you know, as you move into the fourth quarter and beyond, um, you know, we don't really expect as much up pressure from the housing uh, part of the equation as it relates to inflation. Um, so, you know, between the backup of inventories as well as consumer spending shifting away from durable goods and, you know, pressure coming off for 
um, for housing as we move throughout this year. You know, you do think that there is the potential for inflation to to move lower throughout the rest of this year and into 2023. And it, it's a, it's starting to show up in terms of what the bond market's expecting the Federal Reserve to do. Uh, you did you did notice that um, first quarter traders are starting to price in Fed Reserve cuts. Uh, which is just, you know, obviously a pivot by the Federal Reserve from a ratcheting up of interest rates. And so um, it's starting to fall in a line where, you know, the, the peak of inflationary pressure is in the rearview mirror here. All right, Matt, we got uh, earnings coming up starting in about a week or so. The big uh, banks will kick it off in earnest here. What are you looking for this earnings season? You know, um, it's, it's great that we get to have banks start things off because they touch so many facets of the economy. Uh, from the consumer and credit conditions there to what business spending is looking like, um, as well as, you know, M&A activity. Uh, a couple of things that really we watch out for, obviously, is, is you know, consumer pressure in, in the form of delinquencies. You would expect those to normalize as inflationary pressures have started to strain consumer budgets. Um, you know, credit, ha- credit performance throughout the last couple of years has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, you would expect that to normalize, but still be pretty healthy here because consumers in aggregate still have you know, $2 trillion worth of excess liquidity that they didn't have before the pandemic. Um, that really helps credit performance for, for banks. Um, you know, on the on the uh, expense side, um, we are wondering you know, whether or not you know banks are going to be able to um, start to defend margins. Um, you know, as as um, and transition from uh, back to more of an operating leverage uh, scenario that you know we saw pre-pandemic. You know, uh, operating leverage has go, been going in the wrong direction for the last couple of years, and and you know maybe this quarter with rising. Uh, net interest income, as well as you know, continued healthy credit performance, operating leverage can continue can continue to uh, uh, be a, a good side of the story instead of a negative that we've seen in the last couple of years. By the by, the way, I'm wondering, do you have products at Northwestern that you sell to people who are just worried about inflation? All they want to do is beat inflation, like a tips thing or an or an insurance product. Well, not, I don't really think we have one on the insurance side, but certainly inside portfolios that we manage um, of. Uh, you know, public securities, you know, we do from ten, from time to time build up um, uh, inflation protection in their portfolios in the form of tips. Uh, we took a pretty big step into a tips position uh, in April of 2020. We actually exited out earlier out in, hmm. uh, earlier in 2022 as we thought we were uh, past the point of peak inflation. Yep. Um, you know, we, we timed it maybe a, a couple of a few weeks too early because <laughs> the Russia, Russia-Ukraine uh, flare-up you know, did occur, unfortunately. Right. But, you know, even since... Even since um, you know Russia invaded Ukraine, yep. you've seen one-year uh, inflation break-evens move from right. um, you know over six percent back down to four and a half. Yep. So, um, All right, Matt, we're gonna have to just have to leave it there because of time, but but we'll get you back and we'll check in on that. Matt Stuckey, senior portfolio manager, at Northwestern Mutual. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, let me bring in my friend Gary Schilling, uh, who's had a long and storied career, starting in Fremont, Ohio. Really? Then going on to Amherst, which is almost as good as Williams and Wesleyan, (laughs) before uh, landing at Stanford. 
um, the Federal Reserve and Merrill Lynch, etc., and so forth. Gary, great to have you on the program. Um, I, I was hoping, first of all, we could talk about a comparison between the kind of inflation that we're having now and the kind of inflation that we had in the 70s. A buddy of mine, Neil Grossman and, and Bill Dudley also have said that it the the way they're measured is different. But if we measured inflation now like we did then, it could seem just as bad. What do you think? Well, it is a different type of inflation. It's more it's more supply. Uh, it, it's more a weakness in supply than an overabundance of, of demand. But it's a little of both. And the way they come together uh, has, pushed, has pushed up prices. But it makes it a lot tougher for the Fed to deal with because the Fed, you know, you look, what, what can the Fed do? They can raise and lower interest rates. They can buy and sell securities, and that's it. And that's very good for controlling demand. Uh, you know, they pull on the string, constrict demand. They push on the string, not much happens. But they can't do very much on the supply side. So the Fed is dealing with instruments that are not really appropriate to the current situation. But they were so far behind the inflation curve that I think they felt just to, just to preserve their credibility, they had to do something, so they are hot and heavy at raising rates. And when they go on these rate-raising campaigns, uh, more times than not, they end up with a recession. There are very few soft landings now, in the entire post-war period. That brings up something that, that you and I were talking about this mm-hmm. weekend, and I was really taken to task this morning um, by claiming that we're in a recession already. The Atlanta Fed GDP Now tracker says the second quarter contraction was 2.1%. And of course we had a 1.6% contraction in Q1. John Riding said, Miller, you don't know what you're talking about. And you basically told me the same thing. <laughs> um, how will, how will we know when we're in a recession? We'll know when the National Bureau of Economic Research, a private research organization that really first, uh, first mapped out business cycles and studied them back in the 1930s when they say so. No administration, Republican or Democrat, would ever want to declare a recession. Oh, no, no. They leave that to somebody else, NBER. And the thing is that they wait until they get all the revisions and all the late data in. And, and there are times when they don't declare that they pass the peak of business, enter the recession, until the whole thing is over. And, and so it's, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, you can't to say you're in a recession. Yeah, I think we're probably either in or close to it. That's what I started talking about early this year. But again, uh, it's all over, uh, including the shouting by the time it becomes <laughs> official. So, Gary, if we are already in a recession or close to one, do you have any sense, based upon your experience, how deep it may be, how long it may be? Do you have any feeling at that point? I, th- I think it could be deep. Now, not like the 0709 when you have the collapse in subprime mortgages and, and not like the 2000, which was the COVID uh, in terms of depth, but you've got a lot of speculation out there. And that's, that's what happens. You know, what really happens, what's the guts of recessions? It's a correction of excesses, excesses in inventories, excesses in speculation, uh, heavy financial positions. And we've had so much, Federal Reserve largesse, really since 2008, reaction to the uh, financial crisis, that there's 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 no doubt an awful lot of speculation.
isolation that's out of we, we see it coming out of the woodwork every day. You see the SBACs collapsing. You see crypto collapsing. These things that people thought were perfectly safe. But you find out there's a lot of speculation. And one of the things that we always see hmm. is that everybody ends up on the same side of the same trade at the same time. So when one goes bad, traders have to cut back their positions and other things that are totally unrelated oftentimes in order to survive. Uh, so I, I think it could be it could be deep length. It, it, it'll it'll run into next year. I wouldn't I wouldn't try to put an exact pinpoint the timing, but it could very well last uh, three or four quarters, which isn't all that unusual. Could the sell-off in stocks and indeed bonds, Gary, which have you know collapsed? Yep, relative to history in the first half, could it be a, a paradigm shift? Because you famously called the shift back in the day when, you know, before people owned tangible assets and eventually started investing in things like stocks and bonds. Could we see that turn around? Uh, yeah, we, prob- we probably could. I, I think you've, you've had a lot of speculation in commodities. Um, I don't, I don't, there isn't anything that's really going to drive global, global growth. There's no big uh, forces on the horizon. And I think we're going to be in a low inflationary environment. And the key driver of that is since we're in an excess supply world. Uh, you got Asia, huge producers, very weak consumers. And unless we had all-out protection, you got a surplus of, of supply over demand, the, the savings glut they, they talk about. And I think that's going to keep downward pressure on, on inflation. So, uh, yeah, I think you probably got slow growth. Uh, uh, low inflation, if not even deflation, as we look ahead. Gary, give us your sense of the consumer here. I was down at the Jersey Shore this weekend. People were out and about spending money, having a good time. Are you confident that the consumer can kind of power through here? Uh, well, if you look at if you look at what's going on, people are playing back. There's an article in Wall Street Journal today. You probably saw it to that effect that people are taking fewer trips, even to libraries. Uh, so. <laughs> Consumer, consumers are, you know, they're, they're two-thirds of, of uh, GDP, consumer spending. And, and people have been affected. I mean, it's, you know, they call it demand destruction. If it costs you close to five bucks a gallon to, to fill the tank, uh, unless you've got a, a big surplus of, of saving, and a lot of people have been saving more, they're really scared. So I, I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of spending. You know, it's a... It's, uh, it's if it's if cut back in one area that they've got to accommodate others. So, do you I, still I have that think... Volvo, Gary? You had you had like a a brown two forty station wagon from the eighties. <laughs> now wait a minute, <laughs> I got a two thousand one Ford Explorer. I drive them till they drop, man. Ah, <laughs> ah okay. Two thousand one Ford Explorer. All right, Gary. Great stuff as always, Gary Schilling. President of A. Gary Schilling and Company, uh, Ph.D. in economics from Stanford, B.S. in physics from Amherst College back in the day. Uh, he's seen a thing or two. He's seen a cycle or two uh, on Wall Street over his career. We appreciate getting a few minutes. 
The discussion today is all about recession, so we need to check on the Reed Pickert, U.S. economy reporter for Bloomberg News. Plus, Ryan Guest, CEO at ArrowClean, uh, discusses how her company is trying to disrupt the cleaning and disinfectant market in a sustainable way. That should be interesting. But coming up, let's check in with Greg Jarrett first. Get a Bloomberg Business Flash. Greg. Stocks have tumbled as recession fears grip the markets, outweighing optimism over the possibility that U.S.-China talks will have tariff reductions as a result. The S&P 500 is now down 2%, down 75. The Dow's down 2.2%, down 675. And the Nasdaq's down just over 1%, down 111.34. The 10-year is up 21.30 seconds with a yield of 2.8%. West Texas Intermediate Crude is down below $100 for the first time in a long time. Uh, down 8.3% at 99.41 a barrel. Comex Gold is down 1.9% at 1766.30 an ounce. The dollar yen 135.71. The euro a dollar 02.43 and the British pound the dollar 19.12. How many people hold up your hands, honk your horns, flash your lights or whatever? How many think that gasoline is going to go back down to where it was when oil was last at 99.46? No way. A barrel. Yeah. Why not? Because they've already raised prices. They don't cut them that You know how quickly. hard it is to get that long pole out there and move those numbers around, Paul? <laughs> okay, that, that explains it. Actually, I just I saw a great meme over the weekend with uh, people President Biden blames for gas prices. Right, right? and it's Putin mm-hmm. crossed out, oil producers crossed out, <laughs> gas station owners crossed <laughs> out, the guy who puts the numbers on the side. <laughs> right. Exactly. So he's next. I think it's just a commodity. That's kind of how I play it. All right, Greg Jarrett, thanks so much for that. Uh, we appreciate it. All right, let's check in uh, with Reed Pickard, uh, U.S. economy reporter and editor for Bloomberg News. And Reed, it's a great time to touch base with you because, boy, the narrative in the market today after the July 4th long weekend is recession. That seems to be spooking the market. What, do you, what is your reporting showing? Absolutely. So thank you for having me. So we had a story out today based on Bloomberg Economics model, and they now see a chance of recession within the next 12 months at 38%. So that's a big increase from what they were expecting just a couple months ago, where this same model was showing 0%. Um, And then, of course, if we look further on that time horizon, um, by the start of 2024, they, like a lot of other economists on Wall Street, um, expect a recession. Um, there's about a three and a four chance of a recession by the start of 2024. So, you know, in terms of the markets, yeah, they're looking at this picture where recession odds are growing. It's looking increasingly likely that we could have a second straight quarter where GDP declines. Um, and the Fed, you know, is messaging that they are determined to crush inflation. So, yeah. you know, how much they would come to the rescue if things go down t- downhill is is not super clear. No, well, they can't do it right now. Um, the worst thing that could happen for the Fed's credibility is that they don't raise as much as we expect, and then inflation rises even higher. Right. So, uh, but you mentioned something interesting. The the uh, fact that we have two quarters of, you know, back-to-back contraction, I know a recession does not uh, make. But for simplistic people like me, that's a general rule of thumb, right? And the Atlanta Fed um, GDP now forecast shows a contraction in Q2 of 2.1%. 
Right. And it is a general rule of thumb. So here in the U.S. is different than other countries in that we all look to a group of academics at the National Bureau of Economic Research who makes the official call on these types of things. Um, but what's tricky about right now when we're looking at these two quarters is, you know, in the first quarter, a big part of that decline, um, what weighed on that number in the GDP accounting was that you had imports surge. So you actually saw an underlying measure of demand that economists tend to look at. Um, you actually saw that quite strong. Consumer spending um, wasn't as strong as we were all thought it would be um, after some recent revisions, but it still held up. Um, but the second quarter is looking um, kind of increasingly scary from the fact that we finally just saw real spending or inflation-adjusted spending fall for the first time this year in May. So it's not quite clear what's going to happen in June and whether that was more of a, a blip in the month or whether this is the start of a sustained downward trend in inflation-adjusted spending. So, Reed, does that Bloomberg Economics research note, do they have an opinion as to maybe how deep this recession may be if, in fact, we do fall into a recession? Is it something that could be multi-quarters? What are they saying? So I haven't talked to Bloomberg Economics specifically about this, but in terms of other economists that I've spoken with, the general kind of description word that I hear is mild or modest. But in terms of the length, people differ. So I've had some economists say that they see this being a kind of two-quarter thing, very short. Um, and then others who kind of note the fact that the Fed is in a situation where they really need to hit inflation and hit inflation hard. So they might not offer the kind of support, monetary policy support that we're used to seeing in downturns. And as a result, while it might be a mild recession, it could very well be a long recession. Um, but I think it is important to keep in mind whether, you know, even if this is a quote unquote mild recession, recessions are painful. And even a mild recession would still likely mean you know, possibly hundreds of thousands of people losing their jobs. Mm. All right, interesting. Matt, do you know what the Cavalier, Cavalier Daily is? <laughs> is that a, uh, a Cleveland, Ohio newspaper, student newspaper? No, it is the student newspaper at the University of Virginia. Ah. And Reed Pickert was a reporter there. It is a very high quality student publication. How long were you a reporter at the Cavalier Daily, Reed? <laughs> I was years ago now, but I was a reporter for four years. It's awesome. a it's a heck of a student paper. Are they it the is. Cavaliers? I thought they yeah. were like the Who's. Well, the Wahoo Wah. It's Reed. You can explain it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Auburn's the same way, where people people yell Wahoo Wah, but um, the actual mascot is a is a Cavalier. So at football games and such, there um, is a is a mascot of a, a guy with a sword and a hat oh, with yeah. a feather in it. It's well, I a, can't not know that because we have. <laughs> Like half of the people at Bloomberg came from UVA, right? Well, it's even worse than that. They Pretty, came from the University uh, of North Carolina. Danny Berger. Yep. Um, Kaylee Lines. Yep. And the list goes on and on and on. I know. There's more, you know, UVA people, a ton of North Carolina people, and painfully few Duke people here. So we're vastly outnumbered. Well, I'm the only one from Antioch College. And Antioch College is in Ohio, right? It is. Antioch College. Boom. Yellow Springs, Ohio. We, and they're the fighting... Uh, we have had no football team since 1929. Oh, no. The only intercollegiate sport we've had that I know of is women's rugby. Oh, nice. I'm sure you excel there. All right, Reed, thanks so much for joining us. Reed Pickard, U.S. economy reporter and editor for Bloomberg News, former reporter at the Daily Cavalier or the Cavalier Daily. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I guess during the pandemic, we all became, <clears throat> I guess, experts at cleaning stuff and disinfecting stuff. Our next guest uh, has a, an angle on that. Rain Guest, CEO of a company called ArrowClean. Uh, Rain, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, I'd love for you just to give us, you know, kind of a 30,000 overview of what you guys do at ArrowClean. Well, nice to chat with you guys this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so at AeroClean, we actually have a patented device that gives people the power to produce their own cleaning and disinfecting products on site. So it actually just circumvents the whole supply chain completely. So, I mean, I would think that during the pandemic, as people were searching for, again, cleaning solutions, disinfecting solutions, your business got impacted a little bit. Talk to us about how that played out over the last several years. Yeah, so it was really interesting. Uh, historically, actually, we've been regulated as a device um, by the EPA. So when the pandemic hit, even though we had all the testing that showed we were, you know, 30 times more effective at killing uh, COVID, uh, we were actually exempt from the list N, which is the holy grail of products that, you know, everybody recommended during the pandemic. So, you know, at a time when everybody was looking for ways to, you know, they nobody had access to disinfectants and cleaners. Uh, we actually had a facility full up here in the Dallas area of devices that made hundreds of gallons of it a day. But because we were exempt from that list, uh, people didn't trust it. So since then, thankfully, the EPA has put us on that list. And, you know, now that supply chain shortages are happening again and people are looking for ways to save money. Um, and they're understanding the importance of killing germs effectively. You know, people are understanding that these germs infect us, and that's why everybody's getting sick. You know, now, uh, you know, whether it's here domestically or foreign uh, overseas, people are, are wanting to find more effective, safer disinfectants. So, if only there were such a device for baby formula, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, what's interesting about the baby formula situation is, you know, the CDC actually determined that the bacteria that they found at the Abbott facility didn't match the genetic strains that infected the babies. So if you look at the CDC's website, it actually says that the most likely cause of infections is then someplace like someone's kitchen counter. You know, you put a formula scoop on a kitchen counter and then it contaminates the baby formula and that's where infections come from. Um, so, you know, I'm really hoping that the CDC will put out a public warning soon to parents, you know, reiterating how important it is for us to disinfect surfaces in our homes so that we can With your website on it, right? Okay. Well, you know, you want to use the product that works the fastest and you want to, you know, use a product that is safe. So, yeah. What, what do you expect in terms of, I mean, clearly right now we're all still freaked out, even if the pandemic uh, were to end Tomorrow, um, I know a lot of people in this office are going to be disinfecting things until the rest of their lives. But <laughs> do you see demand falling off at all? No, not at all. What I am hoping happens, though, 
uh, demand's not going to fall off because there's numerous pathogens, right? There's COVID, different strains of COVID. Hospitals historically have had crazy death rates. You know, hundreds of thousands of people die a year in hospitals from infections. Millions of people get infected in hospitals from infections. So COVID's not the only bug in the game. You've got MRSA, staff. You know, we got monkeypox now. And all these products I was hoping you'd mention monkeypox. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's spread on surfaces. Fomites. Fomites are surfaces. And so, you know, we really need to take, take a step back and say, okay, everybody needs to disinfect. But the question we need to be asking ourselves is, have we been doing it properly? Well, I also so, wonder if we've been doing it too much, though, Ray. I mean, when I was a kid uh, growing up here in New York City, my mom had no problem with us, like, licking the handrails in the subway. <laughs> because the idea back then was um, you, it builds immunity, right? Was that wrong? No. You know what? I used to feed my younger brother mud pies. I was raised up in <laughs> Idaho. It was like, dirt doesn't hurt. Get out there play, right? Go climb a tree, just smear stuff on your face. Um, but, you know, there's good germs and there's bad germs. And when, you know, imagine, you know, we're all a bunch of animals in a small confined space, in, in essence, right? So I don't think that you can ever disinfect too much. We're almost going to touch surfaces and then touch our eyes, nose, or mouth, and we're almost going to get infections, but we do want to mitigate some of the risk. Now, the one thing that I don't think most people realize is, yes, we were using a lot of disinfectants, but those disinfectants that we were using, most of them have warnings on them, like they cause respiratory issues. They're respiratory irritants. And when you use products like that incorrectly without proper protective gear, you actually leave yourself more susceptible to infectious diseases like COVID. And then compound that problem, if you don't let that product sit on the surface for the contact time, the proper contact time, you don't actually kill the bugs. So most disinfectants cause respiratory irritants, and most disinfectants have to sit wet on the surface for 10 minutes to kill germs. Okay. Now, gentlemen, have you ever let a product sit on the surface for 10 minutes? No. I mean, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, we used to disinfect our groceries and brought them home from the grocery store. Don't do that anymore. I've also, I mean, when I, I, I can't. Even conditioner, when it says leave it in for two minutes, I don't think I can last that long. No, no. Nobody well, so you have no hair, time. so that's well an now. Issue. Now <laughs> yeah. I used to have gorgeous locks of flowing yeah. hair, but it's a good point, Rain. I know nobody does that. Yeah, exactly. All right, no. All right, Rain. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, really appreciate getting uh, your thoughts there, Rain Guest, CEO of Arrow Clean. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.